0: I don't know if you guys have enjoyed this for me. It's been very different. It's been uh, a challenge on my studying uh, to prepare because doing apologetic stuff is just not my norm. Right. And so I really enjoyed going through this kind of stuff. And so today we're going to answer or try to answer or maybe just scratch the surface of the question of if God is good. Why is there evil in the world? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Yeah, most of us have. As a matter of fact, this is a very common question for both atheists and believers alike. We're always wondering, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? If God is a loving God, why is there suffering? Why is there um, disease? Why, why do bad things happen to good people? And so we always kind of have that question rattling around. Now, this is one of those, it's going to be very difficult for us to um, answer the whole thing right? So like I said, we're going to scratch the surface. We're going to see how much of this we can get out. Um, hopefully, I'll give you guys a little bit of thought that you can take with you as, as you get confronted with this question, whether you're at work or at home or, or wherever you go. So um, so here's the deal. Let's look quickly. We're going to jump right in and talk about what evil is. So the first thing we got to answer is what is evil, right? What is evil? So if God is good, And evil exists. What is evil? And we got to figure out where it came from. Because we said in the very first message of this series... ...when we were talking about the existence of God... ...the fact that there's even a moral code... ...a moral standard in our hearts... ...proves that God is real, right? Because God is all good... ...therefore we can see what evil is. But if there is no standard of good... ...then we don't know what evil is. Right? And so we said that proves God right off the bat... ...that if there's evil... There must be God and there must be good. So what is evil? Is evil the opposite of good? Is evil the opposite of good? Who would say, yeah, evil is the opposite of good? Anybody want to dare take that and and know that I'm going to say you're wrong? Absolutely wrong. Evil is not the opposite of good. We are not living in a yin and yang society, right? This is not what we are. Evil is not the balance of good. As a matter of fact, evil is the corruption of good. Evil is the corruption of good. Good can always be, but evil cannot exist without good. Now think about that for a second. Good can be a constant, but evil can only exist in the presence of good. Think about it like this. If you were to take, so we've, uh, and, and, and let me just pause, pause message for a second um, I, some of you guys have been seeing on social media all the stuff that's happening um, around the church, around the area. And, and we keep giving you little updates here and there. So this morning before you came in, we had the curtains open so you could see outside. We've got a nice little patio that's been poured. Um, uh, our, my neighbor and my friend Keith Peterson and his company came out and poured that patio. And I said, Keith, how much is this going to cost us? He said, for you and the church, nothing. So he, pay, he poured the, the patio for us for free. That's amazing. Um, Andrew uh, Rape and Lee Contreras, both members of our church here, have been working so, so hard to get this place ready. Not only for the church, but for the gym, um, because we are housing the gym right now. So we've got a nice little bridge. If you guys parked in the gravel today, you saw a bridge as you came across. It's almost complete. Um, we've got to get the handrails up. We've got a nice bridge. It was hand-built. Uh, by Andrew and Andy, and so that's pretty amazing what they've done. We have another friend of ours named Mike Pender that came out and blazed a trail. Like He had this huge machine that just chopped down trees, just, brrr, just grinded them to the ground. So we've got a really cool trail that goes out through our woods. So if anybody wants to go out and walk or jog or pray or whatever you want to do out there, and, um, and we keep hearing, Gayla, I said this last week, but there's opportunities out there for you to make a little garden. Um, but I will go ahead and tell you. The deer and the rabbits will eat it all down. So just as long as you're aware you're feeding the, the animals. Um, so we've got that out there. So that's, I think that's a lot of really cool stuff going on. Um, but with that being said, uh, so, so Candace and Andrew have a gym uh, here in town, CrossFit Trustful. And a couple weeks ago it burned. The inside of it burned like a big oven. Just the whole thing cooked. And so um, when the firemen went in and they began to spray everything down with water, guess what happens whenever you have metal objects and you spray them with water and leave it over time? what rust it wasn't a trick question you get rust right and, and so here's the thing i want you to think about with rust so when they went back in and they got the barbells off the walls they noticed that they were all rusted and they had to have work done to them but but you can have a barbell you can have a piece of metal without rust correct yeah you can have a piece of metal or barbell in this instance with rust correct yeah but can you have rust without a barbell no you don't just see rust floating around, right? You can have a car that's in pristine condition, correct? Yeah, you can have a car with rust on it, right? But you don't have just rust. Rust cannot exist without the presence of metal to start with. you got to have good in order to have evil, So when people say, if God is good, you can say, he definitely is good. How do you know God's good? Because I see evil in the world. Therefore, God must be, there must be good somewhere in order for evil to even exist. Because it's not the opposite. It's the corruption of good. The second thing, if we know that, then we need to understand this, that God created everything in a state of good. So when God created, it was all good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says this. Then God looked over all he had made. Everybody say all. All. And he saw that it was very what? Good. So everything was good at creation. Was there evil at creation? Y'all are thinking, I don't know what to say. No, there's no evil in the earth. There's no evil in the earth. Now there's all good, no evil. And we said earlier, a car or a barbell can be solid, it can be perfect, without rust. There was all good, no evil. Here's the other thing that people say. They say, if God is a good, loving God, then why is there evil? Well, if he's good and he's loving, then he has to set rules for himself. Because love does something special. Love requires a choice. If you're taking notes today, you need to write that one down. Okay? Gentlemen, write it down. You need to know this. Love requires a choice. How many of you ladies have ever had a guy that was in love with you and you did not love him back? Wendy, like, raised her hand and then pointed at her husband. Um, That's not true. You love him eventually. um, Eventually. Uh, And and so, listen. Here's the thing. And you turn that person down and they kept coming back and asking for a date. Right? And they kept coming back and asking for a date. And listen. Listen they keep saying, I love you, but you don't love them back. What if all of a sudden they just show up at your house? Is that love? It's kind of, kind of stalker, right? It's kind of creepy, kind of creepy. What if, what if they come to your house and they put handcuffs on you and they put you in the back of the car and they say, you're coming with me and you're going to love me. Is that love? No, that's uh, prison time, right? Like, Like, there's a problem with that. And so you got to understand something. Love has to have choice or else it's abuse. Love has to have choice or else it's abuse. So if God is love, if God loves me and he loves you, he has to give us an opportunity to not love him back. He has to give us that opportunity. I'm setting some things up for you here. We're laying a little bit of foundation work here because it's important to understand that that we have to choose to love God. I choose to love my wife. This ring on my finger, this piece of of silicone on my finger is not magic. It doesn't, when I put this on, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden I love her. It doesn't work that way, right? Right? I have to choose every day when I wake up I choose to love my wife. Now now for me that's an easy choice. Very easy choice, right? She makes it very easy. Am I getting brownie points now? Okay, Good. just Good, make sure. I have to choose to love her. She chooses to love me. I choose to love my children. Yeah, but you had a part, a very small part in giving them life. Yes, I did have a very small part in giving them life. And yes, as soon as I saw my son um, for the very first time, I instantly fell in love with him. But still yet every day I choose to love him. Because guess what? Every day he doesn't always do things the way I want him to do them. Right? Every day... I have to make that choice because some days he aggravates me. And so I have to choose in aggravation. I still love that boy. When it comes to God, we choose to love him and we have to make that choice. Otherwise, it's not love. You can't make somebody love you. One of the one of the things my my father in law told me whenever I asked uh, for, for Perry's hand in marriage. The third time I asked, I asked one time and got rejected so then I thought maybe he didn't understand what I was saying. So I asked the second time and got rejected again. And then I asked the third time, well, am I telling the truth am my line? I'm telling the truth. And so I asked the third time and he finally caved because I was persistent. No. Um, so, so I asked the third time and, and he told me, he, he had this conversation with me about love. He said, Gabriel, what if I had a special magic pill and I were to give you that pill and I were to tell you that if you gave that pill to Perry, she would always love you no matter what. He said, would you take the pill? And I said, no. Because if I gave her the pill, then I would never know if she really loved me or if it was the magic pill that was making her love me. True love requires choice. True love requires choice. And so we need to understand that. Then then that brings us to the next thing. If there's a choice, then there's an opportunity for evil. So we're building a little bit of a case here okay god creates everything good evil can't exist without good love requires a choice but choice opens the door for evil think about this we'll, we'll get into the garden but but let me just show you this real quick in ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 now to give you the context and not just to pull one verse out and throw it at you to give you the context paul is talking to the ephesians about anger And he says, in your anger, do not sin, right? So so he's giving them the the idea of you can be angry, but in your anger, you have the choice to either uh, follow Christ or you have the choice to follow your own feelings. And he's saying, don't follow your own feelings. Don't sin in your anger. And, And then he gives us verse 27. And it says, out of that context, he says, give no opportunity to the devil. In other words... My sin, my choice, can give the devil an opportunity to work in my life. So my choice opens the door for evil to come in. Now we read in the Bible, um, in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 for just a minute. We, We read in the Bible that God gave man a variety, we don't know how many, trees to choose from. He says you can get fruit from any of those trees. ...except one. So check this out. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden... ...in the east. Let me just say this for a second. Super nerd moment, but it just stuck out to me. We always think of the Garden of Eden. We think of the whole place. All of Eden is a garden. This is super weird. has nothing to do with my message. But think about this. The Bible says he planted a garden where? In Eden. That's kind of a cool thought. In other words, God had a whole place called Eden, and in one part of it, he placed a garden. I don't know why that... I don't know. Anyways, I know it's dumb. I just think it's kind of neat. So the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. So he's not making... He's not making a bunch of vegetable trees, right? Like this isn't like carrots and broccoli and all the nasty stuff. This is like really good. He says delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God placed man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every single tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. So man is given this option. He's given a huge garden. He's the only one there. Eventually he gets a woman. And so now they're the only ones there. And they can eat of any tree they want to eat from. And he says, just don't eat this one. It would be like, so none of this stuff really applies to me because I'm not very good at being a vegetarian, Um, I, I really like meat a lot, but I also like donuts. And so if you were to put me in a donut shop and you were to say, Gabriel, you can eat any donut in this entire donut shop, except the old fashioned donut. I'm going to put the old fashioned in there because they always have to have the old fashioned for old people. And so, um, so you got the old fashioned in there, dad, which one do you eat? Old fashioned, that's what I thought. So you got the old fashioned in there, and you got all the other donuts in there. Guess what I would do? I would eat every donut in that place except for the old fashioned. But the problem is, I'm a human. And so there was going to be that part of me that's a little bit curious, and I might go over to that old-fashioned, and I might say, well, my dad likes the old-fashioned, so the old-fashioned must taste good. And I might look at the old-fashioned, and I see that it's got some glaze on it, and I might think I might want to just try this, And, and I don't really drink coffee, but maybe if I dipped it in coffee like my dad did, and then I might eat it. You see what happens? Even though you could have a whole room full of good things... God still gives you a choice. I find it interesting that he gave them... Let's say a hundred trees. Probably more. Let's say a hundred. He just said, just don't eat one. And man still goes after the one thing... He's not supposed to have. Isn't that like us? We go after the one thing... We're not supposed to have. And what does that do? That opens a door. It gives opportunity for evil... To enter the world. So today... A big part of my message, and then we'll get into the, the kind of the good, how to go home and, and, and let God deal with you kind of part. But, but I want to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And, and what we're going to do is I'm going to pause every so often because this is the part where God curses. So, so God um, takes, if, if you've heard the story before, the Bible says that Eve went to the tree, that a serpent shows up at the tree. Um, in, in all the Bible stories, uh, in all the, the picture Bibles, it's a snake in the tree. The Bible doesn't say it was a snake, it just says it was a serpent. As a matter of fact, later on, God's going to curse the serpent to have to crawl on its belly. So, evidently, it had arms at some point. And so, anyways, so the serpent is I, I'm wrapping the serpent around the tree. I don't know why I'm doing that. The serpent shows up. The serpent begins to tempt Eve with the tree. She eats the fruit. She gives the fruit to her husband. He eats the fruit. Sin has now entered the world. Disobedience has entered the world. Pride has entered the world. What did God make the world as? It was everything was good, and now we've got a curse. The first curse we ever see in the Bible. So here's what it says. The Bible says this. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He... He, talking about Jesus in the Old Testament, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pause there for just a second. Now, I did not study what does it mean that his, he's crawling on the ground, he's on his belly, he's groveling in the dust. We're not going to get into that. But I do wanna, want you to notice the hostility between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring. So the first curse is a curse of spiritual hostility. The very first curse is a spiritual curse. So the first kind of evil that enters into the world is a spiritual kind of evil. That there is a spiritual battle happening around us all the time. Paul says you don't fight against flesh and blood. You fight against the powers of darkness in this present age. That there are spiritual battles happening all around us. That's what Paul said. So we need to understand whenever we start questioning why is there evil... Why is there evil? We need to know that there's different types of evil. And one type of evil is a spiritual evil in the world. And that's happening. Okay, so he curses Satan and the seed. And then in verse 16, it says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. We're going to pause there before we read the rest of it. But, but I want to show you something. If you, if you look down, it says, In pain you will give birth. Does anybody want to guess what that means? In the Hebrew, it means that you will have painful birth, ladies. It's really straightforward. But let's back up. Let's back up. So there is a pain in childbirth, but there's also a pain somewhere else. So so it says in pregnancy, in the New Living Translation, it says in pregnancy. But not every translation says in pregnancy. As a matter of fact, when you go back to the Hebrew on this one, it, it, it says in conception, in conception... There's pain, but it doesn't just mean pain. If you look up the word for pain, it's different than the pain from childbirth. It's a different kind of pain. It's a pain that means worry. In conception, there's worry and anxiety. Why in the world would I, I wouldn't, but but, uh, a woman, uh, but really a husband and wife. Why in the world would we have worry when it comes to conception? Because now everything was created good. Evil has been given an opportunity to come into the world. And so now even down to our DNA, evil has infiltrated our bodies. Even at conception. So that means now our bodies are cursed from conception. That we can have, uh, you know, cancer. We can have disease. We can have deformity. We can have all kinds of things can happen. Why is that? Is it because God is mad at me and he, he made my kid this way or God is mad at me and he made me this way that God made a mistake when he made me? No, 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 no. God made no mistakes. God created everything as good. What happened? Man and woman made a mistake. And God says, because you've made a mistake, now you've allowed evil into the spirit world. You've allowed evil into the womb. You've allowed evil and pain in childbirth. The next thing it says in that same verse, 16, it says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Wait, did I say that right? He will rule over you. Okay. All right. Just sure I make sure I read that right. You ladies are getting mad this morning already on that one. Um, listen to what it means, though. Here's what it means in, in, in the Hebrew. Because you know how the Hebrew always changes stuff. In the Hebrew, it means that you ladies will have a desire to control your husband. But that's not how the family unit is set up. God set up the man to be the head of the home and the lady to be a helper side beside him, helping him. But the man is supposed to be the authority. But what God says here is the curse is now on the relationship. So now we've got a curse in the spiritual. We've got a curse in natural birth. We've got a curse in in our natural man. We also have a curse in our relationships. That there's always going to be this battle of of man and woman. One trying to control the other one. And it's always going to be this battle all the time. And and can I say this too about that battle? I I believe that's why we see a lot of the confusion that we see between men and women today. That this same battle, this same curse is manifesting itself today to where men and women don't even know their roles. They don't even know what gender they are. And everything is so fluid. Why did that happen? It happens because of this. This is the origin of every evil that we see today. There's a desire to control. But he will rule over you. Your relationship is going to be messed up. And then he looks at the man. And to the man in verse 17, to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. What's cursed? The ground is cursed. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Something I want you to take, take notice of. The man himself isn't necessarily cursed in this part. Instead, it's the ground that's cursed. It's the earth that we live on has now become cursed. Notice that it says it will grow. The earth itself will begin to produce bad things. Up until this point, the earth has produced nothing but good. As a matter of fact, up until this point, well, really not until Noah, you don't see rain in the Bible. Rain has not fallen and will not fall until the days of Noah. Instead, the Bible says in Genesis that it was springs of water coming up from the ground that, that watered all of the trees and the plant life. In other words, the earth itself was producing life to help it sustain growth and good things and desirable fruits. The earth itself is producing all good things. But as soon as Adam and Eve sin, God says, now I have to curse the earth itself. And now it will begin to produce bad things. Up until this point, we don't have earthquakes, we don't have volcanoes, we don't have places where people are being harmed by the earth. And nowadays, we have lots of natural disasters. As a matter of fact, Jesus prophesies, uh, uh, John prophesies, multiple people prophesy that in the future, those natural disasters will become more and more frequent. And these are the birth pains, the labor pains of Christ coming back to the earth. So you just need to understand something. What are the things that are being cursed? Uh, uh, um, Our spiritual realm has been cursed. Uh, The the DNA, who we are, has been cursed. Birthing has been cursed. What should have been a great thing of giving life, and it still is, but it now comes with pain. Um, Now also, the ground itself has been cursed. Our relationships with each other have been cursed. And then the final curse comes in verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food To eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Up until this point, nothing has died, and God says, Now you will die. Now, people can argue about how long did it take God to create the world and and how many years was it? Uh, Adam, it's it said Adam lived 900 something years. We don't, we don't know, um, you know, how, how long all of that was before or, 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 you know, before this point. But nothing has died. They've got this life that they can just live. And nothing has died. And now God says, now, now death has come into the world. So everything gets cursed. Evil comes into the world because God gave us free choice. So let's just review before we figure out what we can do with all this stuff. God is good. We know that. Number two, God loves. Number three, love requires a choice, right? Number four, choice gives opportunity for evil. And then finally, number five, human choices. It's human choices that create evil and bring evil into the world. So the question has to be asked... Why doesn't God just eliminate all the evil? Why doesn't he just wipe all evil out at once? Well, I'm going to give you three things to think about today, and then, and then I'm going to talk about suffering. Number one, if God wiped out all evil, what would happen to me? If God wiped out all evil, what would happen to you? The Bible says, and wow, we got really quiet on that one. Y'all thought it was funny whenever I said happened to me, because yeah, you would die for sure, 100%. And then I was like, what would happen to you? And you're like, well, let's just be quiet. Romans 3.23 says this, for everyone has done what? Sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So what would happen to me if God says I'm wiping out, I'm eradicating every little bit of evil? What would happen to us? Number two, or, or part B on that one if God eliminated all evil, would we even like it? I was listening to some, some atheists the other day debating some Christians. And, and one of the things the atheists were saying was, how can a loving, good God command that, that the Israelites wipe out other nations? How could he command this war with other nations? If he really loves people, how could he do that? And how could he let evil be in the world to start with? And the Christian said, well... He was trying to eradicate evil by using Israel to fight a war against this other group. But you don't want that to happen. So you can't have it both ways. If God eradicates evil, then bad things are going to happen in order to eradicate it. And we don't want that to happen. And then C is this why doesn't God just eliminate all evil? The answer is he will, he's just being patient. The Bible says he will eliminate all evil. At some point, the, the Bible says we get a new heavens and a new earth. In other words, everything's going back to good. Everything's going to go back to that good standard. But God is being patient. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says this, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. This is what a loving God does. A loving God says, I really don't want everyone to be destroyed. I want everyone to come to heaven, so I'm going to be patient. But there's going to be a time when that patience runs out to the point, not that God runs out of patience, but to the point where he's going to have to make a decision, that, that judgment is going to have to come. So he's trying to prolong that as long as he can to get as many people into the kingdom as he can. So if evil is a part of what we are, then how do we respond to it? How do we respond to suffering? All of us have suffered in in a variety of ways. And oftentimes when we suffer, what do we do? God, why is this happening to me? Right? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and, and we were talking about this, this idea of why do bad things happen to good people? And why is it that, good, that bad people still prosper? He's like, I know people that are terrible people, and they, they you know, have all this money, and they go on all these vacations, and they have cars, and they have all this stuff, and they do all these great things. And he said, and then I know people that are serving God and love Jesus, and everything they have falls apart, and their life is you know, in, in a wreck. Why does that happen? It, well, I don't know why all that happens. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. I don't know. I don't know everything. But I do know this about suffering. I know this that suffering is essential to the gospel. Suffering is essential to the gospel. I'm not saying you have to suffer. I'm not saying that, 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 that that's, you, you can only suffer in order to get to heaven. But I'm saying that suffering is essential. Think about the symbol for Christianity. What's the symbol for Christianity? A cross. What was the cross? It was a form of suffering, it was a form of execution. If Jesus were here today, our symbol might be an electric chair. Like, think about it like that. Like, we think of the cross and, oh, the beautiful cross and the old rugged cross. No, it's terrible. That is a terrible symbol for us because it represents suffering. Suffering is at the core of who we are. Jesus was killed on the cross. Isaiah, um, the Old Testament prophet, they say was probably sawed in half, that they stuck him in an empty log and cut him in half. You you look at Jeremiah was thrown into a deep well. Uh, Peter was hung upside down. Uh, Multiple disciples were beaten and and murdered because of their faith. When Jesus tells us about being Christians, he never says that it's going to be sunshine and rainbows. As a matter of fact, in John 16, 33, this is Jesus. He says, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. So we need to understand something today. The idea of suffering that evil brings with it, it's, it's central to who we are. And so whenever you, whenever you suffer or whenever I suffer, we need to understand that I'm right, I'm right in the middle of everybody else across the world. Like I'm right there with all the other Christians that we all suffer from time to time. So what does suffering teach? Because I feel like we can learn from suffering. I feel like we can learn. As a matter of fact, when you think about when you think about exercise, my son this morning is here and him and, and Jay, who's playing the drums today, they did a workout together and G2 did not want to work out at all. He came in that day and he said, Dad, I think I'm just going to sit on the side, but I'm here because I don't want to waste your money, and so he was here, and Jay said, I need a partner, and if you guys don't know Jay, Jay runs um, Ironmans and half Ironmans, and so Jay is very much in shape, and G2, he plays um, Madden, and so um, just two very different. Very different people. G2's in good. He's in great shape. He's he's in better shape than I am. But I just thought that was funny. So Jay did this workout with him. And so today, G2 gets out of the car and Gabriel starts walking up to the church. And I said, hey, hurry up. I need you to help me with something. And he's doing this. I was like, what's wrong? He goes, dad, I can't feel my legs. He said, Jay broke me. He broke me. His legs hurt. But listen, what happens? What happens whenever our muscles hurt after a workout? Do you know what that is? The pain in your muscles is because your muscles have torn, literally torn, and are trying to grow back the areas that have been broken down. They're trying to grow back. And as they grow back, guess what happens to those muscles? They get stronger. So suffering, suffering can teach us something. It can benefit us in a couple of ways. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I I was talking to Perry. Maybe it was a week ago. I had read in my, in my morning devotional this, this idea of trust. And, and I felt like that was what God was speaking to me was that I needed to learn to trust Him even more. Trust Him in all things. And, and when I was younger, I used to not be a worrier. Like, I never worried about anything. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until I got married that, um, that I started worrying. Um, when I first got married, Perry and I first got married, like, all of a sudden, like, they're ready to turn our power off. And she's like, Gabriel, did you pay the power bill? I was like, oh, no, I forgot about the power bill. You know, and I just didn't like, I just didn't worry. I didn't, that's not worry, that's stupid. But um, I just didn't worry about anything. I didn't worry about money. I didn't worry about any of that stuff. And Perry came in and she was like, we've, we've got to like pay attention to what we're doing. And, and all of a sudden over the years, she was the one that always worried about money and I never worried about it. And then I guess it was when kids happened to us. And, and if you've never had kids before, those of you that are about to have kids, just go ahead and know that all your money, is going to go the pain of childbirth it's not just in your body it's in your wallet too it's a lot of pain and it all goes away and so and so i, I started worrying somewhere along the line i started worrying about money and, and i was always concerned about it and and it's gotten to the point where sometimes it affects the, my relationship with perry and it affects my relationship with my kids and and so because i just get worried i get worried sometimes and so i felt like god was telling me you've got to you've got to trust me and so so i felt like for today, I thought that word was for me, and it is for me, but I also feel like it's for us today. And it's not worried about money, but learning to trust God. We have to learn how to trust God. And the best teacher for trusting God is suffering. Suffering's the best teacher. Jesus learned that. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and what does he say? He said, if there's any way for you to take this cup from me, do it, but not my will. Your will be done. In other words, what Jesus said is, I'm about to suffer. I don't really want to, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Have you ever heard someone say, Trust me? Come on, let's go do something. And you say, What are we going to do? And they say, Trust me. Nine times out of ten, you're about to get hurt. Nine times out of 10, you're about to get hurt. One time out of 10, they're going to buy you something. It's going to be great. Nine times out of 10, they're going to ask you to jump off of a rock or a bridge or crawl under something. It's going to be gross. or you are going to eat a worm? Like there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens when people say trust you. And God uses suffering to teach us trust. So let me give you quickly four four things we've got to learn how to trust. Number one, we've got to learn how to trust His plan. So if you're taking notes this morning, we've got to learn how to trust his plan. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We have to trust his plan. His plan is sometimes to allow temporary suffering... To alleviate future pain and heartache. You think about a surgery. I'm a master at surgeries. I've had like 20 in the last year, right? Like All minor, but, but I've had some surgeries. And I've, I've told you guys about the mass on my heart that they took out. Most recently, my meniscus was torn uh, pretty bad. And so they had to fix my meniscus. And, and um, I noticed how much pain I was in. Every time I tried to do something, my, my knee hurt really bad. And and I would love to tell you that it's a really cool story of how I tore up my knee. I was lifting a lot of weight or I was running many, many miles. But actually, I was getting out of a vehicle and I planted my foot and I turned funny. And when I did, it tore my meniscus. So, So I can't get out of vehicles very well, apparently. So my meniscus was was torn and it hurt really bad. And everything I did made my knee hurt. I couldn't sleep at night. I, I, I couldn't walk around. I was in so much pain all the time. And then all of a sudden, my doctor says, we need to clean up that meniscus. We need to cut part of the meniscus out. And so they did that. They put me under. They cut part of my meniscus out. And so for a couple of weeks, I had pain in my knee, not from the meniscus, but from the surgery. And so now I'm having to go to PT and all that. But guess what happened? As soon as I was done with PT, probably within about a week or week and a half, I noticed that I had no pain in my knee. So I had to suffer the surgery in order to alleviate chronic pain. Sometimes in life, we have to know that there's a plan. That doctor had a plan for my knee to help me feel better later on but I had to trust my doctor. We have to trust God's plan. This one hits us a lot when it comes to the death of a loved one. Anytime you have a death of a loved one, whether they're an 80-year-old loved one or an 8-year-old loved one, anytime there's a death in the family, we struggle to trust God's plan. God, how could it be your plan to take my child, my mom, my dad, my grandparent? How could it be part of your plan to take them? Can, Can I just help you real quick? Number one, the Bible says that God promises us Um, that one day we're all going to die, but he never promises us a number of years. He says, you know, about 120 years, but but he never promises us an exact number of years. We're all just given a certain number of days, and that's it. And so we need to take advantage of the days we have. But the other thing that the Bible says is it promises us that that there is going to be a death at some point, but then beyond death. I like how some people say, they say we don't, as Christians, we don't ever die. We just change positions. I like that. We go from being here to being there. But if you were to go to heaven, and heaven is eternal, and so, so let's say you go to heaven and, and, um, and we were to talk to a guy like Let's say David in the Bible and David was alive. I'm not sure how old David was when he died. He was probably around 70 or 80 years old when he died. I can't remember. Um, but let's say we go in, and let's say David has now been in heaven for thousands of years. Thousands of years in the presence of a holy God. Thousands of years with Jesus. Thousands of years in, in, in just being around other believers for thousands of years. He's lived in eternity in this great place. If you were to go to him right now and you were to say, David, would you trade your thousands of years with God to get those 80 years back that you had on earth? What do you think David would say? Absolutely not. In the light of eternity, my 80 years are nothing. Who suffers with the death of a believer? It's not the believer. It's us. Because we miss. And I get it. And God gets it. But we also have to go back to, I trust God's plan, because his plan is bigger than mine. The second thing we trust is his provision. Philippians 4.19, to give you some context, Paul in this story is talking about how um, the Philippians have been the most generous church. That they have blessed him over and over and provided for his needs. And now he's thanking them for providing for his needs. So Philippians 4.19 says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So, so generosity, the Philippians' generosity, Paul turns around and says, God's going to provide all your needs. Don't you even worry. God's got you because God sees your heart. He's got you. So we've got to trust in his plan. We've got to trust in his provision. After I wrote, after I, I wrote in my journal about trust, and I think I wrote Perry a little note in her journal about trust. Um, one of the next things that happened to us is we, uh, in the month of May, and I'm not saying this to get pity party, so please don't pity um, my party. Um, in the month of May, it just happened. Have you ever had those months or those weeks where every bill comes due? Like, have you ever had one? No, I'm the only. Okay. Um, so we had one of those months. We had one of those months. Uh, G- uh, Gabriel and I are going on a missions trip. That bill came due. We, our taxes Came due all this month. Um, medical bills. My surgeries came due. Like everything came due in one month. Had we spread it out throughout the year, not a problem at all. But when it all happens in one month, it's just a little overwhelming. And so Perry and I were talking and we we're like, hey, we got to be very careful with the, with the money this month. You know, for the rest of the next couple of weeks, we got to be very careful. And so we were talking about that. And then all of a sudden, after we have this conversation, guess what happens We go to put clothes in the laundry. Now, I've got basically three teenagers. My youngest is 12. He's almost a teenager. So we go to put clothes in the washing machine, and nothing happens. The washing machine breaks. Now, we've got a washing machine that is like the best brand you can buy. It's called Speed Queen. I will do commercials for Speed Queen the rest of my life. I love Speed Queen. Speed Queen is used in commercial... um, laundry mats they're amazing they never break as a matter of fact the the last time i had a washing machine i brought in a a, a guy to fix it because we had to fix it a bunch and i said i said hey and i asked all my appliance repairmen this i said what's the one washing machine you never have to work on he said speed queen hands down i work on kenmore's and maytags and samsung's and lg's and um Mitsubishi's and whatever i'm just making up stuff now but um i work on all of them but never speed queen i was like i'm buying a speed queen so we bought a speed queen And guess what happens? My speed queen broke. And I called my repairman. I was like, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. My speed queen broke. And he came out there and he looked at it. He goes, Gabriel, I've never actually fixed a speed queen. He said, I've never looked inside one. He said, this is all new territory for me. And he looks down and he says, this is so freaky. But the transmission broke. I didn't know washing machines had transmissions and clutches. I've never seen a gear shift on one. And, um, and so the, the, he said it broke. And he said, let me call somebody and see if I can get you another one. He said, man, the transmissions are on back order. It'll be another six weeks at least until we get this transmission. And he said, and it's going to cost you like $1,000. Now, remember what I said about all my bills just came due? <sighs> I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm sitting on the floor, and I text Perry. I said, looks like we're going to have to get a new washing machine. You know, like, like I am struggling. And, um, and I said, well, let me just call my insurance company and see, because we've got, like, home warranty or whatever. And so, so I called the insurance company, and, and the lady was really nice. But she's like, Mr. Wright, we're going to have to do some research on this. And she goes, I've never actually filed a claim for a speed queen before. So this is all new territory. I'm like, yeah, I keep hearing that. And so, so she's filing the claim, and she's doing the research, and she calls me back. And when she calls me back, she says, Mr. Wright, that part that you need for your washing machine, they don't make it anymore. She said, it's not on back order. It's invisible. It's extinct. She said, I guess we're going to have to buy you a new washing machine. And I was like, OK, that's great because I got a $500 deductible. So $500 off my new washing machine. I still got to come up with $500. And so I'm like, oh, $500. But it's OK. We'll make it work. So I, so the lady says, but here's what I'm going to do. So I found a washing machine in your area, and she chose the most expensive Speed Queen washing machine she could find, which I'm not going to get. And then she says, and there's probably a delivery fee for like $300. And I'm like, delivery free fee? I got a dad and a son. We can go get it ourselves. And then she's like, and you already paid this, so I'm going to put that on there. And she said, the total is even without your um, deductible, like taking out your deductible, she says, you know what? I'm going to pay you this much for, for your new washer. I made 50 bucks off the whole deal. It was amazing. So then my insurance agent calls and says, we've got to have a talk. We've got to go over your insurance policies. I get to my insurance agent. You know how it is whenever you've got teenagers, insurance goes up. So I'm talking to my insurance agent. My insurance agent says, Gabriel, we forgot to put Gabriel Jr. on your insurance. He said, your insurance is going to go up. And I said, I can barely afford it as it is. He said, it's going to go up another almost $300 a month. I'm sitting there going, I wish I was having childbirth. I think that would be easier. I'm hurting. I was hurting. I was dying on the inside. Remember what I told you? What did God tell me before all this started? Trust. He said, trust. I trusted him with the washing machine that never breaks. So I said, okay, i got to trust with the insurance. So my insurance agent is a good insurance agent. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who it is or not, so I won't yet. Probably. <laughs> and so he says, you know what, I've got to deal with another insurance company. He said, I've got a partnership. Let me see what I can do. So he, they sent off my paperwork to the other insurance company, and they came back and they said, not only, not only is it going to keep you from being that high, but you're going to pay less than you're paying right now. So I saved more money. So so my washing machine breaks, I'm down. When it gets fixed, I'm up. My insurance agent tries to kill me with a heart attack, but then he saves me. And I get home, and I tell Perry, you're never going to believe this wonderful stuff that happened. I said, we get a new washing machine. I went and bought it, brought it home, hooked it up. And I said, well, insurance is doing better. And then we get home, and she washes clothes in the brand-new washing machine, and she puts them in the dryer and presses the start button, and it goes, boom. said i can't do it i cannot i cannot i can't i don't even care i'm dying i'm dying and and so and so perry just says to me oh my gosh this stupid story is taking so long i gotta get y'all out of here um so perry says gabriel i just feel deflated and i said me too like this stupid dryer the stupid dryer has now has me to the point where i want to go to bed And so Perry thinks that I'm a handyman and I'm not, I'm not at all. And so she's like, well, just see if you can fix it. And I'm like, okay, Google. And so me and Google, we looked it up and I was like, maybe, maybe there's this little part. I've got dryer parts all over my little bitty laundry room. And I said, maybe this one little part in the most hard to reach area, maybe that's it. And so I popped that part out and I'm like, but nobody has it. Like I can't go to Lowe's or Home Depot. Nobody has this part. And I I look it up on Amazon because Amazon has everything. Amazon says it'll be a week before you get it. And I'm like, that's not going to help. And so then I'll keep looking in Amazon and all of a sudden I found one of them that says it'll be here tomorrow so i order that one the part comes in i get the part i stick it in the, the dryer i close everything back up probably said a prayer or two may have said another word or t- no i'm just kidding i didn't say anything bad and i hit the button and the dryer started oh. down, up, down, up, down, up. my emotions like i have if i had hair i wouldn't have hair <laughs> what's the point he said trust He said, trust, trust my provision. Sometimes my provision is a check in the mail to pay for your washing machine. Sometimes my provision is your insurance agent just doing a good job in something you can't control. Sometimes my provision is you having to get your hands dirty and do a little work for yourself. And install a seven dollar part, which is fine because I saved 50 bucks on my dryer on my washer. Right. Right. So we trust his provision in our suffering. All right, I promise I'll get done fast. The third thing we, we trust is we trust his promises. Revelation 21 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. You suffer here for a little while on earth, but you'll spend eternity in a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. It's all joy. And then number four, and this is where we're going to close for real. We trust in his presence. There's a couple of verses that I want to use today, a couple of passages I want to use today to talk about the presence of God in our lives and how we need to trust that. Because I feel like today, I knew today we were going to have a lot of people out of town. I get it. But I thought, you know what, God, the people that are going to be here today, I feel like somebody needs this. Now, I needed the part about trusting provision. That was for me, probably not for you. That was just Gabriel preaching to Gabriel. But this one, I feel like I'm preaching to some folks here because you've been going through some suffering. You've been going through some suffering and it's nothing that that um, a a washing machine can fix. It's nothing that money can fix. You've been going through some suffering and, and it's not just about the the later on it's not just about hope for the future you've been going through some suffering and, and it's not just a, a a plan thing it's something that you're just struggling because your suffering makes you feel alone and isolated you're struggling with with this idea that i'm the only one well let me tell you what the bible says the bible says we trust in his presence matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 then jesus said come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Can I tell you something? Jesus is calling out to you today. If you feel heavy, and burdened, if you feel like you're struggling in your sorrow, you're struggling today in your suffering, and you just feel like you can't take it anymore, the the, the conversation that I had in my story that was a kind of jokey, but at the same time very real, was when Perry and I both looked at each other and was just like, I feel so discouraged, and sometimes we feel so discouraged in our suffering. Jesus says, come to me, come to me. We remember that suffering's part of Christianity, we get it. But he says, you come to me and I'll give you rest. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And then if you would give me just a couple more minutes before we pray. I know I've taken a long time today. But Psalm 16, I was going to use one one snippet out of Psalm 16. And then I did a little bit of studying in Psalm 16. And it, it just changed the way I looked at the whole verse. See, Psalm 16 is, is, is a special psalm... ...along with uh, a couple of psalms in the 50s and maybe 60. Um, and, and it's, it's called... A, ...like the slang term for it is a secret psalm. It's a psalm that David wrote when he was in suffering. See, David was anointed king... ...but then the king that was on the throne ran him out of town... ...and tried to kill him multiple times. David was anointed king, but David lived in ditches and caves... David was anointed king, but he had to beg for food. So so David lived this life of suffering for years. And the Bible gives us a couple of his writings, and and it's written during times of great suffering, and they call these the covered psalms, or the secret psalms, or the silent psalms. In other words, it's a psalm that you would speak like this. You just cover your mouth and you begin to speak it. And and you say it in secret. It's a psalm you say. It's not a psalm of joy and let the band play and let me get down front and dance and raise my hands and clap and worship. It's not one of those psalms. It's one of the psalms I say when I curl up in bed and I'm so discouraged and I'm so lonely and I pull the covers over my head and I'm still wearing the clothes I had on today. And I just I just begin to sing this psalm to myself. Listen to the words of David. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read all 11 verses. Keep me safe, O God, for I've come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. I'm going to pause there. David's in suffering. And he says, I'm coming to God. I'm not going to people. I'm going to God. And I may not have much, but every good thing comes from God. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. In other words, I'm not going to turn away. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. This man is speaking these words in a time of suffering. Why is he whispering these words? I think the idea of covering your mouth, and we'll finish it, but covering your mouth is so that it echoes back and you can feel your own breath, and it's almost like you're speaking to yourself. I'm speaking to my own self. When I feel like the land has cursed and has deserted me, I'm speaking that every bit of this land is blessed. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety for I will not leave, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. That's a that's a prophecy about Jesus. Verse 11, this is the last one. You will show me the way of life, granting me joy the joy of your presence, and the pleasures of living with you forever. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? In his times of suffering, in his times of loneliness, in his times of of chaos, David begins to quote this secret psalm. He begins to write this secret psalm. He begins to speak it over himself. If you're a part of our prayer team today, I want you to come on down. We're going to get ready to pray this morning. And he begins to say things... Like you're going to show me the way of life and grant me your your presence forevermore. This morning you may be suffering with something. There may be something you're going through today. It may be like we talked about a spiritual issue that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a physical issue. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe it's a ground issue in this this world. Your work, your toil, and it's just struggling. You're struggling to produce what you need to produce so it becomes a financial issue. Maybe it's a worry or it's a sin. Whatever your issue is today, can I tell you something? We serve a God that knows what suffering's all about. And we can learn to trust him even in the suffering. So I'm going to pray over you. If you just bow your heads for me this morning, Lord, I just pray over this group of friends and family today and, and God, even for those that are watching online today, I'm praying for them too. God, as they reach out to you today, as they reach out to you for prayer, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would have your way in our lives. I pray today that as we come down and we receive prayer from our friends, we receive prayer from, from this prayer team, God, that your presence would stand just like David said in the middle of my suffering, in the middle of my trials, you are right beside me and so God today we want to trust in your plan and we want to trust in your provision and God today we want to trust in your in your promises and mostly we want to trust in your presence we just ask that you would grant us your presence today So today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're suffering through today, even if you're not serving God today and you want to make you want to get your heart right with him. These people will help you this morning. They'll walk you through that path. So if that's you this morning, if you need prayer, I want you to slip out of your seat and come down to the front. Josh is going to lead us in one more song and then Will's going to dismiss us. If You need prayer. Come on down.